Amen. Megan is a warrior S. Is that is that a feminine warrior? Just warrior. Okay. I didn't do too good in that subject. Um, English, whatever it was. Well, um, I do just want to honor Megan because she has been on the journey, and whether you're streaming and watching for the first time, you're here this morning. And whether you've been with Antioch since uh, the beginning back in 2009 or uh, uh, came along somewhere along the journey, um, we started this church as a church planting church. That was the desire, that was the business plan, so to speak, that we would be a church that would, um, that would find people who are hungry for Jesus, invite them um, into relationship with him give them an opportunity to meet in something called a life group, house-to-house church, as we see modeled in the book of Acts. Then for those that wanted to go deeper with the Lord, saying, hey, how do we facilitate discipleship relationships to happen to where people are able to get really vulnerable, really authentic, deal with the real dark places of sin, and at the same time, deal with the real places of victory and celebration in our lives. So we started with a church that said, we're going to meet on Sundays, we're going to meet for a life group, we're gonna, we want to do discipleship, we want to reach those that are hungry and are lost and wanting Jesus, but that wasn't enough. We wanted to be a church that would actually not just take care of people in this city and reach people here, but would give people a taste of the nations, because there's many places around the world that do not allow for this kind of a gathering. There's many places around the world where there, where, where there is not this many believers within a 100-mile radius. And so we said, well, what can we do as a church to reach the unreached, to reach those that have not only not heard the gospel before, but have actually not had the opportunity to participate in something called the church, which is the gathering of believers where they can read the word worship, fellowship, and do as the book of Acts teaches us, right? So that's how we started this church, and we wanted to plant churches in the U.S. and overseas, and, and we also wanted just to send out laborers into the harvest, right? Because... It's not an issue with the fact that the harvest isn't ready, is that the labors are few. That's what Jesus says, right? So Megan is someone in that line of people that got hooked by Jesus, got into a life group, started being discipled, began discipling others, and started practicing sharing the gospel with people here, gone on a trip or two overseas uh, for the first time, it, tasting food that she had never tasted before and probably had to go a few days without a shower. And yet she did it. She tasted of what the Lord was doing in the nations. God touched her heart for a place in South Asia. And as Elizabeth said, she's been faithful for three plus years wanting to go back and working through that journey financially and waiting and making sure the timing's right. She's getting to go. So that's what I want to honor is that, is that she is someone that we came for. Like, we planted this church so we could have people like that. And so we could have people like anyone else that's willing to stay in this town for the next 50 years, but do that locally, right? That's our church. So just, I don't know where you're at. If, you're, if this is your first time, you just said, I'm going to come because it's Christmas season and I probably should. That's great. But this is who we are. This is Antioch Community Church. It's a community of believers wanting to represent Christ well in our day-to-day lives and wanting to invite people into the thing called the church, which is the most exciting organization on planet Earth, and then pull others in. And then out of that place as we are then sent out and go take our jobs or go overseas for missions work or go into government or do whatever we're doing, that we'd be those salt and light people that then say, wherever I go, I'm going to make disciples in that town. I'm going to start a life group. I'm going to be connected with the local church fellowship and see the glory of God come and be manifest because that is God's plan A, is that through the church would be the hope of the world. Christ and the church is the hope of the world. Amen? That is God's plan A. There is no other plan. There's not a plan B or C. There's not some new, uh, new tech company that's going to come out to all of a sudden be the Savior. There's not some government thing. It's Jesus and the church has been what it's been for 2,000 years and will continue to be until he returns. Amen? So, Megan, we're proud of you. We love you. Thanks for being faithful and during the journey. All right, now we're going to talk about the message, okay? So that's the church. In case you're wondering about church, what's the church about? 
That's what church is about. Um, you know, we all long for peace in our lives, and sometimes um, it feels like we, we're like within arm's reach of peace, and then it kind of escapes us. And, and, and so, you know, I, I know that peace is a word that, you know, everybody's aware of the word peace. Everyone's maybe got their own interpretation or definition of it or experience of it. But I think many times maybe we associate peace with circumstances and everything happening outside of us, right? And so in my family, it could be that we could label it as, hey, dinner's going well until a child spills water all over other children on the counter and then it's like, right? So you get that kind of Daniel Tiger. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Daniel Tiger, just grr, right? And so that can happen. And so you're thinking as a parent, things were peaceful. Like we had the candles lit. I mean, we, every kid had a napkin. We even used real dishes, not paper plates. Like we went next level here. And then that happened, right? And so we oftentimes think about our lives and peace in the context of everything happening here circumstantially. Yeah. Um, maybe, it's a, maybe it's within your business or where you work. And I, Man, I love working here, you know, and that's on Monday. But, but then on Tuesday, some coworker pops off of you. Your boss says that your report actually was inaccurate. Or you thought you had a sale and you're ready to sign it out of line on Friday, and they pull out. And you're like, you know, you just... It's like everywhere you turn, you're like, I had peace, and then it just left me for a moment. You know, peace seems to be something uh, more and more that people are really longing for. And, and yet, I would argue that so many people in our world, I mean, you could go to any culture, any society, any family, I, I don't think anyone's going to reject peace. Like, everybody wants it. Like, they want it. They actually long for it. I would argue it is natural as a human being to long and want that comfort and that peace. That is how we are wired by our designer, by our creator, by God. So people long for it. They try to get it, obtain it, maybe even buy it, experience it, right? I mean, they will do whatever they can to try to, to, try to have peace in their lives. But... Um, the question people are always asking is, okay, wh well, what is it really, and how can I really get it? Like, we tend to think of peace as a commodity, right? As something that I can go purchase, or I can, if I just go on that vacation, right? And so, you know, my family went to Disney recently, and, um, you know, when you think of Disney, right? You, like, you watch one of the movies, and the little opening, we all love watching the little castle thing. You know, it's just like, yes. Like, it just, right? I mean, let's be honest. It's like, oh, like, you got your popcorn, you're like, I feel better now. I saw the castle on the screen, you know? Or maybe if you watch Mulan and it kind of looks cool and different, so you're like, ooh, it's a cool castle, right? And, okay, I, listen, we're all there. We're all Americans. We've all been tricked, okay? But when you go to Disney, right, there's, there's a castle there uh, for sure, right? But then you walk up to it and you're like, Ah, it's just, it's cool looking, you know, but then there's some kids screaming over here, right? There's, there's someone over here that's got the hot dog. They're just munching on it like no one's around. There, there's songs are continuously going. You're just like, you know, you know, it looks better on the screen than right. You're like, okay, like that's cool. I'm not so sure this is illuminating peace in my soul, right? Or you're on the ride for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and you're like, man, this is, you're getting in line. This is awesome, you know? But 45 minutes later, you know, you know, you lose a little steam there, and, you know, ding, 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 ding. You're just, you know, it's just, right? It's just, it's, and you're like, hey, you know, it's not necessarily, but a lot of people would say when they go to Disney, it's like they want it to be this other world experience, where it's, where there's love, where the good guy wins, where it's, there's like a longing for, for life to be a little more like Disney. Like, hey, some bad things will happen, but you'll win in the end, right? Like, the prince will come and rescue you in the end. Like, it's going to all work out, even with the angry aunt or, or, or what happens here. It's all going to be fine. People are longing for that, and 
it was so interesting being there because you could see so many people that were, whether they were with their kids or just by themselves, adults, that they were geared up, you know, and I, what I discovered at Disney, and listen, I, I went once when I was a kid for one day, went to Epcot and it rained. I don't know why we went up one day. I think we were from Florida and went there for a day. So I didn't have, like, Disney experience as a kid. And so people are all dressed up, and they've got, I mean, you've got 14 people wearing the same shirt and everything else. Next thing I know, we're doing that. You know, it's like, like we're wearing the matching shirt thing. And so I was a little anti early on, but it actually convinced me for the good of the kids. And so I'm, I'm all in. You can see it. I got the green shirt with Mickey, the whole thing. I'm in. Okay. Uh, you'll never see that picture, by the way. But... Um, but so we're there, we're seeing all this and people's excitement, but, but the reality is it's just living life with people that you would live life with anywhere else at the grocery store or at the, or at the store or, or at your work or whatever else. It's not that this environment created all this peace. There's entertainment for sure, but not peace. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the environment. Even the like greatest place or most magical place doesn't provide the peace. So I want to take us for a moment back to the announcement of Christ's birth to kind of dig in a little bit to figure out this whole peace thing. So when Jesus was born, uh, Luke writes that an angel appears to a few shepherds in the field and tells them that the Messiah has been born. So let's go to Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth with people, but not just any people. It says people with whom he is pleased. So we'll come back to that. The angels declaring peace on earth with whom he is pleased. So there's something interesting connected there. So we'll come back to that. Now, Last week, Kelly did a great job of opening up this series on Advent um, that we've titled, Word Became Flesh, and um, our theme verse is coming out of John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Today, we're going to focus in on the phrase that says, dwelt among us, all right? So what does it mean to dwell? Well, in the prologue to his gospel, John writes and depicts for us how Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us and is likened to the presence of God in the Old Testament, okay? So I want you to track with me for just a moment here because we're about to unpack for you how does it look for, for, for Moses and, and the reality of the tabernacle to be kind of paralleled with what John is writing about here, okay? It says this. He mentions the giving of the law through Moses in John 1.17 when you read a few verses down. And though Moses was given the book of the covenant in the Old Testament with his instructions, the longer work of the law he was handed on Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and the following of the blueprint for the tabernacle. So Moses was very integrated with the tabernacle. So John here says, the giving of the law through Moses in John 1.17, he's talking about Jesus, his word becoming flesh, coming to earth, and he references this idea of Moses and having the law and the tabernacle. John 1.14, he says, we have seen his glory, right? Moses asked to see God's glory in Exodus 33. And at that time, he asked to see God's glory in between getting the instructions on how to build a blueprint, so to speak, on how to build a tabernacle, which is a place where God was going to dwell with his people, the presence of God, in between the instructions of that and in between the actual construction of the tabernacle, Moses wanted to see God's glory. Again, it says grace and truth, talking about Jesus, came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth summarizes the name God revealed to Moses on the mountain when he's on Mount Sinai. Again, between this idea of the tabernacle instructions from God and from it actually being built, Moses and this in-between being referenced by John. 
says in John 1.14, um, uh, talking about glory again. It says, glory is what was visible on top of the mountain. So Moses said, Can I, I want to see your glory. And yet God said, I'm going to hide you behind this rock. My glory is going to pass before you. All my goodness is going to pass before you. And the people of God were down at the very bottom. They saw this cloud and this whole thing. They saw the glory of God. It became visible up on top of the mountain before they built the tabernacle. Now, why is all this important? Because Greek scholars regularly note that the word for dwelt, when it says he dwelt among us, is the verb of the word for tabernacle. So some go as far as you translate John 1.14 this way, and tabernacled amongst us. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Now this is important if you are first century Jew reading this letter from John one of the disciples who'd walk with Jesus and now talking about the life of Christ and being very important. When you heard this word in your language, you would understand he's talking about God dwelling, like God tabernacling, like the things that our great, great, great parents talked about 500, 700 years. Like you're talking about the people in the wilderness and the desert when they escaped Egypt and they, and they had this huge tent and this huge place where God would dwell with them. And then Moses would go and he would talk to God and God would give him instructions. He'd come out and talk to the people and the presence of God filled that place. That is what we're talking. We're talking about God tabernacling with his people. Do you see the connection between Jesus coming on earth, word becoming flesh, the word of God coming and dwelling with his people was, 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 was beyond any box they had. It was outside of the realm of possibility. Do you understand? It'd be like walking on water. You can't do that unless it's frozen, right? Like that's impossible, but yet Jesus did the impossible on earth to show them, I am not only the Son of God, I am the impossible, miraculous Son of God. And by the way, I'm here with you, although I'm in human form. I am divine in my nature, and therefore here I am tabernacling with you. And that's why later on, when disciples say, just show us the Father, show us God, show us Yahweh, show us Him, and that'll be enough for us. Then Jesus replies, have you not been with me so long? If you've seen me, if you've shaken my hand, if you've dined with me, you've seen him. Do you see the mind-blowing reality? People longing for thousands of years to see creator God. I mean, God, the creator of the universe. I mean, just... Eternity, the stars, the planet. It's just that God, and it's, whew, he came here? Yes. That is what is, that's the stumbling block, by the way, for the world. Do you want the stumbling block for a Muslim? A stumbling block for a Muslim is they actually really honor Jesus. He's a prophet for them. The stumbling block is that the belief that God would come down to earth amongst us icky, sinful people and live amongst us is blasphemy. There is no way, there is no way a holy God would come down to planet earth and live with us human filth. There's no way he would do that because that would, that would destroy his holiness. Do you see that? How it just, it doesn't even connect the dots. That's why most world religions are all about God here. Like, he's there. He's this ancient, he's this thing. Like, even the Greeks with Zeus and the gods. Like, it's the gods, the Romans, the pagan, the gods. It's like, the gods are out there, and we better keep them happy. Right? And so we're going to keep them happy by doing sacrifice. We're going to keep them happy by making sure that we wear the right clothes. Keep them happy by having these different statues and temples and we're having burning incense. Keep them happy by, by, by doing whatever people have done for centuries and thousands of years across the world to appease the gods. But did you know that this is the only religion where you don't actually have to appease the gods? Did you know that? It went back, and the angel declared to 
those shepherds with whom he's pleased. Peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Now, you don't have to appease the gods, but, he's, but who's he pleased with? Who's he pleased with? How do you please God? You see, when we talk about the connection between Moses and the tabernacle and Jesus dwelling amongst us, that has huge implications for people. And for us, we need to know Jesus is not your buddy. He's, he's not just like a good guy. Jesus is not my friend. He's my Lord and my Savior. Like, that's he, like, I have friends, but Jesus is my Lord. He's my Lord. And what, and I, I, I don't argue with my Lord. I, I don't say, Lord, I don't, I don't like that commandment. I'm just going to do something. And like, he's either Lord or he's not Lord. And so if he's going to be Lord for me, if he's going to be holiness of God, then it's either all in or nothing. Right? And, and I'll just say, that's where we are right now. Like, like people desiring real peace, you have to decide if you are all in or not. If you're all in with him, that peace can be realized. But if you're half and half, it won't. It'll trick you. It'll be like Disney. You're like, wait a second. This isn't, I, thought I, I thought we had something. You see, Jesus Christ dwelling amongst us provided the pathway for peace for all mankind. But that peace can only be realized through Jesus himself. Now, we're celebrating Advent, which simply means coming. Looking at the first coming of Christ as we anticipate and expect the second coming of Christ. So we look back 2,000 years ago, Jesus being born in a manger in Bethlehem. That's the first coming. That's what Advent is, but it's also coupled with the second coming of Christ, coming back for his church, for his bride. And the first advent of Jesus set up the hope of believers in the promised second advent. And these candles up here represent these four weeks of Advent, with the fifth one, the white one, being us, we're, we're going to light it on Christmas Eve, but it's recognizing the purity and the holiness of Christ. But the two we have lit today, those candles, are for love and for peace, are the purple. The other purple one will be for hope. The pink one is joy or rose, so we're joyfully celebrating, and we'll light that one on the last week. And for us, we wanted to display this today to give us a visual of that it, Jesus isn't just grace. He's not just truth. It's not just one aspect. It's all of it, right? So, like, so like we, we are to love God and fear God. It's both and. You can't just love God and not fear him. It doesn't work like that. It's like saying, hey, I love you, Dad, but I'm not going to respect you. That doesn't work. It doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in relationships. It certainly doesn't work in this one. Trust me, if, if, you only, if you only respect or only whatever, you have the book out there, Love and Respect, great book, okay? Just so you know, like in marriage, if you only do one, it's not going to last. It won't last. Just like this relationship, it won't last if you don't fully commit to him. It is everything. So as we walk through Advent, as we look back in the coming of Christ, how he's already come, we then look forward to his second coming. So today we're going to talk about peace and how do we get this peace in us? How do we obtain it? And really, how did that come by the word dwelling among us? I want to highlight three things in regards to peace today. The first one is this, peace with God. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the angel said, with those whom he is well pleased, he's talking about Romans 5. If you come through Jesus, then guess what? You will be at peace with God. Since we have been justified by faith, faith in Christ, we have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God comes through Jesus. And notice that we are not naturally at peace with God. Right? Like we are born into sin is what we believe. And therefore, then as you enter into this world, sins have separated us from God. And it is only through Jesus and faith in him that we are brought back into relationship with God. And with peace. And with the peace of God. You know, Mary, before Mary gave birth to Jesus, an angel came to Joseph. 
And then Matthew 1.21, I'll summarize it. He said, he said, you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, this is Joseph, right? So he finds out, right, that Mary's pregnant, and he's not the father, having a momentary freak out as any man would, right? And he says, hey, now, and in that moment, it's going to take an angel, right? That's, and don't, so don't think a cartoon angel. Don't think that, okay? Think of, like, warrior-looking angelic being probably two to three times your size that is a mixture of joy and fear coming upon you and that you're not sure if you make a move you might be dead like it's almost this mixture of like okay so so don't think casper the ghost don't think him think of an angel sent by god a heavenly being that was there fighting against the third of the angels that fell away to fall the devil in this huge war that ensued where God is the victor. And now you have the demonic beings and these third dark angels over here, two thirds over here. This is one of them. And he shows up and he's one of the, he's one of the captain ones. He's one of the big dogs. And he shows up and says, Joseph, chill out. (laughs) Modern day. She's going to have a son. And you're going to name him Jesus. So no matter where Joseph is in this moment, you can think he's like, yes, sir. (laughs) Right? Because we all have an attitude and a little swagger. But when that alpha comes in, when that coach comes in and says, do it or you're off the team, I'll do it. Yes, sir. (laughs) Sounds great. Right? And so the Lord knew he's got to work through Joseph's emotional state here and just say, this is what's going on. So get on board with the great salvation plan for all of history. He didn't know that. So I'm just saying that for us. Guess what? When God does something different than you expected, just know he knows more than you. He has a reason. It's like when we tell our kids, hey, I need you to trust me on this one. But dad, I don't understand. I know you don't. And even if I explained it, you probably wouldn't understand. But I need you to trust me. Because I'm doing what's best for you and everybody else. Church, we got to understand. Either God is our God and he's our leader and we do what he says or we don't. That Christianity, to be a Christian by definition means you actually have to be a Christ follower. Right? Not, not, not a Christ fan. Christ follower. This Christmas, there's Christ fans. He doesn't need fans. Uh, right? He had crowds. He had fans. They came for the free bread and the fish. Where were they when he's crucified? How's it called? Fans. Fans are only there as long as they get freebies. As long as they get entertained. A miracle here, a miracle there, parting the Red Sea, some bread and fish, this blind guy, this thing happens. Wow, cool. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about this? Oh, man, did you hear about that? Oh, that's cool. But then when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, be a Christ follower, easy, man, easy. Hey, can I just follow you on one of those apps? Can I just see what's happening? But I don't think I want to commit. Can, can I just stream along with those with those services, yeah. I don't want to do discipleship at life group. Right? Like, I, I want the peace without paying a price for it. Right? right? Like, I, I want all the good stuff from God without actually giving him anything. Right? Yeah. right? Like, I, I want to be loved in my marriage without sacrificing and serving my wife. Oh, but I want it to be romantic and awesome and incredible. And joy- but I'm not going to do anything for her. You see... That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works in human terms and certainly not with the Lord. So he says to Joseph, you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's Christmas. Jesus coming to save his people from their 
sins. Now, when he was born, they were not saved from their sins. It's when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. We'll get to that in just a minute. But that was the birthing of something that was about to happen 33 years later. They would transform all of human history for all mankind, all races, and all nations. And everyone who heard the good news is a game changer. And not for life, for eternity. Jesus. Now, did you know the name Jesus actually means salvation? That's his name. That's why the angel said, call him Jesus. Some people hear Jesus, they hear salvation. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about salvation? Think about that. Like, hey, have you heard about this Jesus guy? Yeah, salva- salvation? What? Saved? What do I need to be saved from? Oh, that's a great question. You see, real long-lasting peace with God only comes when you accept and believe and have faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The chastisement that brought us peace. I don't think that's a word you want upon yourself. Nobody wants to be chastised. But that's what brought about the peace, is his suffering, his death, his humiliation, his mockery after he did nothing wrong. Any one of us would deserve a beating based off of our sinful choices and our rebelliousness and the ways we've, we've cursed at people and been sarcastic in the way that we've undercut and the way that we've judged and the way that we've done things that have been immoral. We deserve that. I mean, that's the judgment I deserve. I am sinful and therefore without Jesus, I will have to stand before the judge one day and he'll say, guilty! Guilty! My wife and I, my kids, guilty, hearty family! Sentence them to death. Eternal separation from a holy God because they are unholy. And I will not allow entrance to anyone unholy into my new kingdom in heaven, period. Not allowed. And by the way, they got all sorts of x-ray scanning machines and stuff up there. You can't, there's nothing you can hide. But these go deeper into the soul. Guilty, hearty family. Imagine... Growing up, Jewish, it's 80, 5, 10, and you're like, man, we keep bringing these calves of sacrifices to the temple every year. We keep trying to keep up with 407 ordinances. We keep trying to obey these things. Man, I screwed up, and I did. Man, it's not enough, and I don't know what to do. Imagine being someone living modern day right now. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the good news. They have no idea. They're longing for peace. They want something, but they also know something's really wrong and off. And they wake up every day. They entertain themselves. They go through their job. They go through their emotions. They're fixated on money, fixated on sex, fixated on relationship, fixated on alcohol, fixated on the government or on politics or conspiracy theories or whatever it else is. And they're focused on that. And that consumes their lives. But it's all empty. (laughs) Guys, I want people to have peace with God. That doesn't come by trying hard. It comes by accepting the fact that you and I are sinners and that we need Jesus who is salvation. The second piece I want to talk about today that I believe Jesus brought forth when he dwelt among us was is just simply a peace with me. You know, there's a there's there's a conflict out there, there's a conflict in here going on inside of us. You can label it anxiety, um, stress, worry, turmoil, condemnation. Go down the list of things that people wrestle with. Even some of us wrestle with right now that's just, man, I can't think straight. It's just so, it feels dark and icky, you know, and you want to be free from it. I mean, we all do. We all want to just, can I just like not worry about that? Can I not be stressed? Can I just wake up and not have the dog barking? You know, can I just 
just the anxiety. Can I, can I go to bed? Just, and let me just, a little side note for everybody. I'm going to help you here. You ready? Um, uh, I wasn't planning on this. Here, here's my December challenge for you. You ready? Everyone's streaming too. December challenge. I dare you to get in your bed and turn your phone off. I dare you to get into your bed and turn your phone off. To quit doing this. And then you wake up. Let me just tell you right now, your dream world's not very good. If you end your day with this, uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? You're inputting anxiety, stress, worry, pain, darkness. Unless you're reading scripture or something encouraging, which most of you are not. Leave it there. <laughs> Guys, I say that because people are struggling. You know how much I just wish we could just purchase some peace for people and just say, here you go. A cup of cold water. Here's a cup of peace. Drink it and you got it. That'd be great. Man, if we were that, if we had that recipe as the church, oh man, we would doors line up just cup of peace, cup of peace, go your way. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. Right, guys, did you know Gen Z, there's a lot of Gen Z people, okay? 68 million of you. So if you're Gen Z, that means you're between the ages of 8 and 23 years old right now, right? You're Gen Z, okay? A Harris poll taken in October of this year found this. Um, Gen Z adults are the most likely generation to report experiencing common symptoms of depression. More than 7 in 10 Noting that in the prior two weeks, they felt so tired, they sat around and did nothing. That's 75%. They felt lonely, 73%. Felt miserable or unhappy, 71%. So a secular poll of Gen Zers surveying them in October, the last two weeks, they are indicating, and this is more of a psychological terming, but they're saying they are depressed. Maybe not clinically because they haven't been in to see a psychiatrist or whatever, but they are in the depressed category. All symptoms show depressed. Seven out of ten. Now, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to have a down day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's life. But the reality is, is that so many people in our nation, I'm picking on that 68 million, that's a big portion, but it's not like the other generations are that far behind just in case you think you're in like the we got all together generation, none of us have that. Okay. But what's happened in our country this year is people, um, it, it, is, it is skyrocketing the number of people that are having the mental, internal, emotional, soul distressed, crazy. Uh, it's, it's actually for everything going on, all the noise out here, I would argue it is more intense in here. For people. Even though we've had a very tumultuous year, I would argue if there's a way to measure it out that it's actually been more intense internally for human beings. What's going on in, in their interpersonal world that actually they don't even know how to talk about or deal with, and they're searching for peace, they're searching for meaning. You know, Psalm 34, 17 through 18 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you not only receive peace with God, but you receive peace to help you through the circumstances in life. You receive peace here. But the catch is you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I can't help someone with the internal peace in their life with enough money, enough food, enough of feel-good books. I can't do that because it won't last. Yeah. It'll be momentary. I, do you understand me? Like, we cannot help people fully without Christ. Partially, absolutely. But it's like having a cut, putting a Band-Aid on, but the reality is the infection is in the bloodstream. Christ can deal with the bloodstream. Yeah. Yeah, 
Our methods deal with the scratch on the outer surface. And then it flares up somewhere else. We put a Band-Aid there. And then here, and next thing you know, we're all bandited up, but we're actually sick and dying inside. But we feel like we've got a lot of treatment. Man, there's, he said, actually came for the sick. That's what Jesus said. I came for the sick, for the brokenhearted, for the crushed spirit. That's who he came for. Paul writes in his letter to the Christians in Philippi in chapter Philippians 4, 6 through 7. says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which means you can't really figure it out, is just there. Which some of us don't like that. I know, we don't like that. You can't put it on a test. You can't do a research paper about the peace of God. Because you can't, you can't find out enough facts about it. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. You hear that guarding? Oh, he's taking care of me. He's going to guard me. So wait, when I put all my eggs in that God basket... You're telling me he's going to help me out? Yes. You're telling me he's going to guard me when the enemies come and the foes come? When the th- you Wait, you're telling me there's a one-stop solution? You're telling me there is one place to shop for all of my needs? It's the Jesus store. That's it. There is one person that provides all of it. Isn't that good news? Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's talking to Christians in a city about 1,900 years ago, and he's telling them this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. Guys, he's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in hearts. Um, do you know these people were underneath Roman rule? Uh, surrounded by pagan temples and human sacrifices and all sorts of weird, goofy, crazy stuff that probably make your stomach turn. Do you know they were underneath this Roman empire where there's one Caesar ruling? Everyone knew someone who'd been killed in a battle, but fought in a war. They lived in terrible conditions. <laughs> so actually, their state was way worse than ours. Like, drink, clean drinking water was for the few. <laughs> Yet he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Yes. <laughs> Guys, you know why it's important for you to get on a plane someday and go to another country and interact with people who aren't like you and share the gospel and minister to people and serve people and wash their feet and help them out? You know why that's important? Because we need to understand and have our eyes opened up to the reality that many people live in a different way. And when you understand people who actually have a lot less than you, but are way more joyful than you and thankful than you, something should go off in your head. Do you understand me? Every time I go on a trip, I am convicted of my arrogance, of my entitlement, of my complaining, of my whatever, name it. And I'm humbled by the people that are saying, this is what we have. We're grateful. We're just so thankful to Jesus that he found us. We're grateful that we get to be together. This is what we got. That's why I think Paul says, and be thankful. <laughs> All right, the last one I want to share with us before we wrap up here is not only is he provide coming to dwell among us, he provided a peace with God, a peace with me, but a peace with others. Now back to Joseph and Mary. Remember, they were engaged to be married. And when he heard that Mary was pregnant, he considered breaking off the engagement, right? As many men probably would when they found out she was pregnant from some other source and wasn't really sure that all worked out. (laughs) And so in Matthew 1, 19 through 20, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
Then the next verse, the one we read earlier, about you're going to call him Jesus. So this angel appears to Joseph in the midst of this deal. Now listen, out of all the difficulties in life we face, I'm pretty sure that the ones that hurt the most are the relationships. It's the people. Like, that's the most difficult part of life is actually us. It's, it's not the dog. It's not the cat. It's, 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 it's not that thing. It's, it's, it's us. Like, we make life actually difficult on many levels. And when things are not okay, it's very hurtful and wounding to us as a people. This is why Jesus, the Prince of Peace, dwelt among us to then show us how to be at peace with each other. Because no one had the, no one got an A plus on that up till then. <laughs> Jesus was the 4.0 on relationships. He actually showed up and everyone's like, you can't do that. You can't talk to them. You can't eat with them. What are you doing with that? You know that guy. And he's like, he's just everywhere he goes, he's just like, everybody loves the guy. But all these people are fighting, arguing, and, and he's like, insert Jesus. And it's like, oh, huh. different. How, how is he doing that? The disciples were just confounded by this, right? Jesus came to bring peace with others. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is important. It's going to be my 2020 verse. I'll read it again. Everybody listen now. Think about 2020 and these verses. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, in many ways, Paul is speaking about the fact you had Jews holding on to the law and the commandments and the ordinances. And they were saying, no, 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 you can't do it like this. You have to do these things in order to be in right standing with God. And he said, Jesus came, one man, grace and truth. He embodied all of it. And he came to fulfill the law, and he put it all together, and he said, hey, you've heard that it said, but I say this. He took everything from the Old Testament law and took it up to the next lot. He didn't actually get rid of it. He came and fulfilled it. So when he came to dwell among us, he came to fulfill that law and then showed us how to bring peace amongst each other. And I would say not just for the law, but amongst ourselves, killing that hostility. And, man, don't we need that? We need a hostility killer. Right? And that's Jesus. If I had time, I don't have time. But if I had time, I would tell you stories of people that I have interacted with, whether it's in Texas or around the world, and heard stories and testimonies where you would have thought there was just no way. There was no way. I mean, everything from Taliban coming to Christ, to ISIS fighters laying down their guns, to political rivals, to, uh, to racial rivals. And to, I mean, just you would not believe. And every one of those stories, the linchpin is Jesus. Yeah. It's not a guy with a good policy or a smooth talker or brought him extra donuts to make peace. It was Jesus Christ injecting himself in the midst of the hostility and killed it and crucified it. And it said, in me, we're on the same page. Isn't that the church? Look around. You weren't friends with these people before here, most of you. You wouldn't have been friends in high school. Be honest. You don't even have the same interest, different hobbies. Some of you love computers, some hate them. Some are into sports, some don't care. Right? Like, but in this room, guess what? We're united by Jesus. The only reason we can actually be in the same room together in many ways because the peace of Christ has come and has surpassed all understanding, and all of a sudden we've ascribed to him. We said, Jesus, we're in. Yeah. 
So we're going to end this morning by worshiping him. I want you to stand this morning. We sang this song, part of the song earlier. I just want to read this passage to you, though, because when we talk about Advent, when we talk about John 1.14, the word becoming flesh, what are we talking about? We're really talking about what Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier, I believe, before Jesus was born. He said this in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this Christmas, church, remember that peace on earth comes only through Jesus. Comes only through his sacrifice on the cross made between God and us. Without Jesus shedding his blood on the cross, there would be no peace. And without Jesus being born as a baby at Christmas, there would be no cross. So I want us to pray as we respond this morning in our hearts. Lord, we ask for your peace to come not just upon us, but within us. So Lord, I pray for anyone streaming and watching, anyone in this room, if they've not come to that come to that crossroads in life where they've said, I've got I've to make a choice. Either Jesus is going to be my salvation and my Lord or not, but if you haven't made that decision, I want to invite you this morning. It is good news, and he is the only one that can make peace, long-lasting, eternal, transformative peace in your life. He is it. If you want to know him this morning, you can simply just pray, Lord Jesus, would you come live inside of my heart? I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave and I want you to be king in my life. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need them to be washed away and cleansed. I can't do it, but you can do it. So I come to you and ask, would you come and forgive me for my sin? Come and release me from everything I've done, and I will follow you. I will commit to following you all the days of my life. I need you to save my soul because I'm done trying to do it myself. Simply pray and invite him into your heart. If you've done that, tell somebody today. Say, hey, I I just said, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I don't know what to do. Ask someone who's already following him. They'll help you. But Lord, we just pray for the peace of God to come. We need it now, maybe more than ever. We need the peace of Christ to come rule and reign in our hearts. Let us quit grasping for it out there, but let us receive it from here. We pray in Jesus' name.